Cena to inbound. Gibbs. Gibbs the step back for the win. Got it! Everyone, for the finest of Mexican cuisine, it's Taqueria. 042-242-1600. That's Taqueria in Dejon, South Korea. Go see Jacob and his wife Susie. They'll hook you up with fresh, authentic Mexican food by real Mexicans. That's the nachos, tacos, burritos, whatever you like. Nachos, I'll say it again. Why? They're the best in Korea, hands down. Taqueria, 042-242-1600. Check them out on Facebook as well. 3-2 from Ryu. Called strike three on the inside corner. First strikeout of the game for Ryu. Hey everyone, it's Philip Riccobono and you're listening to the ComingToAmericaBaseball.com podcast. This is episode 2.3, our second season already. Coming up in a minute, Justin Kutcher of Fox Sports. But I just want to let you know that we are in full swing here during the baseball season. It's June 3rd, 2014. Got a couple of rainouts tonight. And, I don't know, maybe some bat flips too. But those babies have been going on all season long, all over the place. We'll talk about that and more on this episode. All right, everyone, as I said before, joining us this week on the podcast, an old friend of mine, uh, Justin Kutcher. Uh, last week, he met Vin Scully. He sat in his chair. He did Baseball Night in America featuring the Dodgers and Ryu Jin. And as it says on his Twitter, he's living the dream. Justin, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. Glad to be back. Before we get started, I want to give a little shout out to my cousin Nino, who you uh, met last year and did a little, had a little fun with. He's recovering from uh, open heart surgery. They found a growth uh, a couple of months ago. They got it out. Uh, I spoke to him about a week after. He's all fired up. He's a big Rangers fan, Yankees fan. So we send our best wishes over to him. Absolutely. Hope he's doing well. So um, I got to ask you, in the in the last year since we touched base, what's been the most surreal moment? Moment where you like kind of pinched yourself and said, "Wow, I can't believe this is happening." Uh, I'd have to say covering the Masters. Um, hmm. When I got the email, I was. I was at a production dinner for a basketball game in Indianapolis and uh, I just checked my phone towards the end of dinner and the subject heading was, you know, masters. And I, mm-hmm. I started reading it and it says, uh, wondering if you're available to host our coverage of the masters April 9th through 13th, does that jive with your schedule? And I, I actually got lightheaded. Um, wow. <laughs> and, I mean, and you I, weren't a couple of beers in. No, it was the night before a game, so I don't drink. And, okay. uh, okay. and I'm, I, I said to the guys I was with, I was like, Hey, I got to read you this email. And so I read the email and they're like, are you okay? And I, I just, I was, I, I couldn't believe it was happening. And so I, I wrote back, I said, yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know, give me a call. We'll talk about it. I did not sleep that night. I got an email <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning saying, awesome, I'll give you a call. And I didn't tell anybody about it except for my dad and my brother because I didn't want to jinx it. I wanted to make sure it was really happening before I said anything. And right. when I spoke to them and they, and they said, you know, here's your credential, you know, make sure you bring this with you. I thought, oh my gosh, it's, it's really happening. And wow just getting out there and, you know, being a, a sports fan my whole life and being a golf fan for a lot of it, 
um, that place, it, it is the first time I feel like I've witnessed perfection. Um, it, it, you walk out there and you just, you go, Oh my gosh, this is, this is the masters. This is Augusta. Did you get to play it? I did not play it. My brother played it. I have not. Um, but I, uh, I can't tell you how many times I would just kind of reach down and feel the grass. I'm like, Oh my God, it's just perfect. So it's like a carpet. You could take a nap on it and it would be more comfortable (laughs) than some bits. Um, wow. It, it was just, it was so cool. And, and I was there from Tuesday through Sunday, uh, got to walk the course, you know, every day, be outside, mm-hmm. watch what's going on. And they talk about the roars of Augusta. And it's yeah. true. As you're walking, first of all, the course is, is so well like labeled. You know exactly where you are at every point, but you hear a roar. And you're like, all right, that's coming from two. Someone just either birdie or eagle that one. And then you hear another one. That's coming from 16. Someone, you know, and you just know what's going on. And you look up at the scoreboards and that they're everywhere. And you, you look up and you say, all right, Freddie's at 15, 16. That was Freddie. Freddie just birdied that. And, and you're able to figure it out without actually seeing it. And it's, it really is such a special place. You had to be pulling for Freddie, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Everyone loves Freddie. And, and on Sunday, I was walking the course with, with some people, and, and I said, if Freddie can get to four under, heading to 10, this mm-hmm. is going to get really interesting. And he got to three under, and then he, he had a problem at Amen Corner. Um, but every time, I mean, you're watching him, you're following him, you're just hoping, can he do it, can he do it, can he do it? And unfortunately, he wasn't able to. Now, as a kid, you know, growing up, I know you're a big golfer and everything. Have you studied that course? I mean, this was your first time going there, right, to Augusta? Correct. Yeah. But did you feel like you had not been there before, but but knew what was in store for you, kind of? You know, um, I'm not going to say that I studied the course. You've watched it on TV, and, and you, mm-hmm. you know what the holes are. But... Um, Everyone always says you can't appreciate the undulations of the course until you're there. And that's true. It really is. It's not just people saying it to say it. It's true. I mean, the greens there, the sixth green is, is unbelievable. I mean, if you're, if you're watching from the right side of the green, there's a mound where someone's putting from the lower left you can barely see them. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I was told by, by friends who's played there that the members all say the first time you go, you have to walk the course back to front to truly appreciate it. Well, mm-hmm. I did that. Well, walking up the 10th hole, going back to the clubhouse, I was out of breath. And I like to think I'm in pretty good shape. I work out almost every day and I Mm -hmm. was hustling to get back, but it was, it was remarkable. And the cool thing about Augusta is you're walking around and you see all these celebrities and all these former athletes. uh, And they're just like anybody else. No one gets special treatment, right? I saw Jerry Rice walking the crowd, Fred McGriff that day I'm walking up 10. He's walking down like, Hey, it's the crime dog. Uh, you know, Penny Hardaway, Kurt Thomas, you see all these guys 
and they're just huge golf fans, and they're just walking the course, carrying their chairs with them. It's it's really uh, it's something I think every sports fan, every golf fan, should try to experience at least once. Gou uh, of Jan Hop News, who's a friend of the podcast, been on, and he wrote, uh, "We this is our first listener question." Uh, what's your favorite hole in Augusta uh, National and why? Oh, man. Good question. Oh, boy. Um, so the excitement factor 16 as a viewer is really cool. You can go there. You can watch. You get a good view of the 15th green so you can see people coming up there whether they're going forward in two or going, you know, lay up and go forward, you know, in three. And then, you know, you get to see the guys, especially on Sunday on, on 16 with the pin location that could try to get a hole in one. Um, but it's also fun during the practice rounds because all the players skip the balls across the water and the crowd <laughs> loves that. So I'm not going to say it's a party atmosphere because I think also there's no party like atmosphere. But that's where the crowd gets most into it on 16. Um, man, yeah, I guess, I guess that would that would be it. Um, I, I think watching Amen Corner is really neat. the The approach shot to 11 so intimidating. Um, I mean, you, you see all these guys bailing out right and trying to chip up, and they're just they're just trying to get out of there with car. They don't care about making birdie. They're just like, please let me avoid the big number. Um, <laughs> and they've got the bleachers set up there for you. And I tell you what, with all that said, the par three course might be even more spectacular than the normal course. The par three course just blew me away. I mean, it was beautiful. And uh, getting a chance to watch, you know, the, the big three and, and Nicholas Palmer and, and player walk, walk that, that was pretty special. Wow, I had no idea. This. So there's like an executive course at Augusta? Oh, no, it's a separate par three course. It, okay, so, it is, so it's, it's all par threes. And it's sort of like a practice course for your short game? No, or no, do, no, no. Do people, it's, people it's go, real okay. Par, it's a real par three course. It's actually huh. the, number one, the number one ranked par three course in the country. And, uh, wow. and rightfully so. But yeah. everything about Augusta, um, whether it's the par three course, the main course, or the practice facility for the, for the pros, um, everything is just perfectly manicured. I mean, the practice facility, you would it would be without a doubt the nicest fairway you've ever hit off of. Hmm. Did you get inside the house, the clubhouse? I did. I had breakfast there a couple of days. I had lunch there a couple of days. Um, actually, my first day there was a Tuesday morning. Got there early with my producer, and we sat upstairs outside on the, on the balcony and ate breakfast, and as we're eating breakfast, we're looking out at the first tee, and there's Rory McIlroy teeing off. And I'm like, man, this doesn't suck. <laughs> How was the food? I have to ask you. What'd you have? Um, the food. The food was good. Uh, I'm not a big um, pimento cheese guy or egg salad guy. That's what you know. It's known for. But the media, the media room, the media area was the nicest I've ever been to, and every 
food they have in the concession stands they have there for the media. But the best thing about the Masters, food-wise, without a doubt, the cookies. I kid mm. you not, Phil. From <laughs> Tuesday through Sunday, I'm pretty sure I had at least 14 cookies. And it's a oh. good thing I was out there walking the course because yeah. I could have put on at least 10 pounds. <laughs> Big cookies, chocolate chips, black and whites, what'd you have? No, no black and whites. Uh, they had this one cookie, I can't even tell you, it was almost like peanut butter and raisin and chocolate chip all in one. Oh, so mm. good. And the last day I was like, oh, I want one more. And they ran out. I'm like, no! <laughs> So, but, uh, uh, yeah, but, yeah, find out who the caterer is. Yeah, it, it's all so, done through there. It's really pretty special. Wow. So, um, all right, let's let's get back to baseball here. Um, so we, you know, we got many guys from here in the pack who, who come here from the pack rim uh, and made the jump over to MLB. Ryu, who you just saw, Tanaka, Chu, Darvish, Ichiro, maybe his last year, and uh, like you said um, on the show last year. Uh, one steady Eddie guy, perhaps, is uh, Hiroki uh, Kuroda. Um, now, you mentioned on the air Saturday that MLB teams, some of them got burned in the past. Um, uh, you know, so, I don't know, maybe they got, kind of got gun-shy, but you got a couple of guys out there now, like Ryu and Tanaka, who may be changing the minds of GMs. Uh, let's talk about Ryu, okay? He is a national hero, a national treasure here. Um your partner from the Dodgers, uh, Eric Caro, said if he played on another team, he might be a number two or even a number one starter. And that's got to say something coming from Eric. Um, did you get a chance to talk to him uh, through his interpreter? Uh, did you at all? No, we didn't. Um, okay. Yeah, I, for us, you know, going for the interpreter can make things kind of difficult. Um, but, uh, but no, we didn't. You know, I've, I've seen a pitch and now seeing him in person. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, he... He labored through that ball game. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a well pitched game from him. You know, he was kind of all over the place. But look, at the end of the day, obviously he got a tremendous amount of run support, uh, and he got that run support early. But he minimized damage, and he was able to pitch out of jams and 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 do the job to get through six innings and get the win. I mean, I'm sure I didn't read the post game quotes. I didn't read you know the paper the next day, but. I'm sure if you asked him, he, he wasn't happy with his performance, but he right. he would have said he gutted it out and, you know, they got the win. Yeah. Well, he just came off that, uh, was it seven innings of perfect ball? And then yeah. I think not too, not too long before that, he came off the DL. So uh, it's not bad. Um, Ted Smith, who's uh, Nexon Heroes honorary uh, cheerleader, a super fan here in Korea, has actually been voted by some organization um, as the number two baseball fan in Korea. He wants to know, what factors do you think have contributed to Ryu's success in making the jump to MLB? I think when you look at the pitchers who have succeeded, um, whether it's Ryu, Tanaka, Darvish, Kuroda, um, I think you're looking at a maturity level. And a mindset of not being afraid to go after hitters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when Kuroda came over, people described him as a bulldog. And I, I think that's fair. And I, and I think what you're seeing, you know, I went to go see Tanaka pitch against the Cubs at Yankee Stadium. 
and I was really impressed by him. In the cold, um, in the cold, that was a one of the. It was a very cold day, right? Uh, yeah, you know, he pitched yeah. during the day, so the sun was out, mm-hmm. so it wasn't too bad. But yeah, that was yeah. that was a cold a cold spell. But um, with with each of these guys, I think what they show is the ability to attack hitters and trust mm-hmm. their stuff. Um, you know, obviously Darvish has overpowering stuff. He's got, he's got the, you know, I guess the, the, the most overpowering stuff of any of those pitchers I mentioned. Um, Tanaka has that devastating splitter. Um, but Corona, uh, Ryu, these guys, they, they know how to pitch. And, and that's something that is very important whether they learned at a young age or, or whenever it was, but they, 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 they've, they've been able to carry that over from their experience in Asia to the United States. And, and I think that's the reason why they're successful. It doesn't hurt for you to have uh, guys, you know, like Granky to learn from and Kershaw and stuff like that either. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that goes without saying. Um, I think probably more Kershaw than Granky, just, you know, two lefties talking, but, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you watch and look, the guy came over last year, had success. Uh, that obviously gives you confidence going into this year. And, and plus when you're on a pitching staff, like Ryu is with the Dodgers, it, it's reminiscent for me, um, of the, of the Yankee staff from the late nineties when they had the dynasty. Right. And, you know, each day it's a different guy. And, and now there's like, there's that competition, you know, you, you don't want to, be the, be the worst guy in the staff. You want to try to one-up the, the guy from the night before. And, you know, confidence, it, it kind of carries over. And each guy watched the guy before them. All right, he did a good job. I got to go out there and do a good job. And I'm going to do a good job. And that's what that's what you see from them. Ryu Hyunjin also should be noted that he um, donated money to the Seoul, uh, Seoul tragedy uh, here in on October 16th, uh, about 300 people lost their lives in a ferry accident. He posted something on his locker uh, to the effect of that he's thinking about them and, and with with them. And um, actually got the Dodgers to do a moment of silence before the game, I think, the night after the tragedy. So, real good guy. I actually wanted to ask you if you dropped my name to him because I did happen to meet him at a, at a wedding in November, and we uh, took a picture and shook hands and all that. I tried, I tried teaching him a little bit of English too, but uh, he was kind of busy. Sorry <laughs> so. to disappoint you, Phil. <laughs> maybe next time, right? Yeah, maybe next time. <laughs> so, um, moving on from Ryu, uh, we got a question here. I, I sent you a video. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it. Did you? No, I did not. I'm sorry. Okay, maybe next time. But we'll get to the another question from Danny K. Dan Kurtz, the founder of MyKBO, for years, the KBO did not have an English link to their website. And finally this year, they have one. But for probably about 10 years, uh, Dan Kurtz was the only source for us uh, non-Koreans or non-Korean speakers. Um, He's done a great job giving me a lot of contacts through the league and uh, gotten me very far with uh, meeting players and stuff like that and interviewing them. But anyhow, uh, he's asked um, the hardest name that you've ever pronounced on air. That's what he wants to know. Oh, boy. Uh, huh. uh, 
this might go back to my first volleyball match that I ever did was <laughs> Hawaii at Nevada in 2006 or seven, And the star player for Hawaii, I think if she had a uniform with her name on it, the name would have wrapped around the full circle. Um, <laughs> I, I can't even remember the name, but during the open, we taped it, and I screwed up four times because I could not get the name right. Um, that was probably the hardest name I've ever had to say. What's What's funny is that it's typically like Korean names are, are fairly easy to pronounce. Um, right. You know, Chinese, Japanese names, those are, Chinese are harder than Japanese and Korean. Um, like when I did the, the World Softball Championships in Beijing in 2006, uh, the Korean names, the Japanese names, they basically told me, like, as you see it, that's how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. As far as Chinese, that, that can be a whole other story. Um, but Hawaiian names, you know, uh, Samoan names, football this year, doing, doing Utah, Utah State, you get some names and you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, you, you're kind of sweating going to the broadcast. Like, gosh, I hope I say this name right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, those, that's, I, I can't tell you one specific name, but, but those would be the ones. Well, now, now you know how I feel a little bit with my roster here as, uh, as I try to read off the names in, in Korean. They don't give them to me in English. So I had to learn the whole alphabet before I could read my students' names. Hey, and, uh, you're the one who chose to move there. I can't blame you. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm here with Justin Kutcher, Fox Sports. He's a son, a brother, a devoted uncle. He's with me. I'm Philip Riccobono. Uh, for the finest in Mexican cuisine, it's Taqueria in Tejon. And also check out Paul's Bespoke, custom-made jackets, including my electric blue and 1970s plaid jacket that makes me look pretty good on YouTube. Let's uh, check those out. They're on my website. Adjusting you in the market for any custom-made clothing or Mexican food? I know places <laughs> I could send you. <laughs> I'm all right. Thank you. All right. All right, let's get back to the uh, the listener questions here. Um, this has been a, a big issue here in Korea, and I think they're doing a pretty good job with it in Major League Baseball. Uh, John Ber- Ber- Berend, John Berend wants to know, uh, he's living here in Daegu, Korea. Um, what is your view on having more instant replay this season? Um, and how do you think it has affected the game? Does it make an umpire look bad when they reverse a call that they have made and has, have the games gotten longer with the instant replay? I don't think it makes the umpire look bad. I think, you know, everyone knows they're going to make mistakes. They're human. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to get the, the calls right. Um, I don't think it's lengthened the games by much. You don't have as many managers arguing, so you don't have you know that charade that goes on. Do you miss that? Do you miss that charade? That whole because that was a whole scene. That was a whole game inside the game. I kind of uh, miss it. I, you know, I don't you know, because if if the manager still wants to fire up his team and and get run he could still do it um yeah you know we saw Girardi do that earlier this year yeah so so that's still there um mm-hmm. the part that I think is is a little tedious is the song and dance of 
the manager coming out, turning the umpires. The, the, the two of them could see the the, the dugout. The, the coach in the dugout giving the thumbs up, the thumbs down. And if it's a thumbs down, they're like, all right, thanks very much. Back to the dugout. Um, right. This is a work in progress. It's a step in the right direction for Major League Baseball. But ultimately, I think what you'd like to see is, is as opposed to having the challenge, as opposed to doing this and that, is just having, you know, the buzzer like, hey, we got to review this. Now, people say the college football method is the best. And I don't know if I agree because having done a lot of college football games, they tend to review too many plays. Um, it, it's become so tedious. And uh, not only that, but then there are plays where you think they're going to review and they don't review. But in my game on, on Saturday, Clint Hurdle challenged a play in the first inning, which I didn't right. understand why he challenged it. They, they right. you know, kind of, changed the rule at the beginning of this year about what defines a catch and a transfer. And to me, it was clear that it was on the transfer. And then he lost his challenge. And now Starling Marte, that play he made in left field, I really do believe that had they reviewed it, it would have been reversed and called an out. So, you know, you want to get every play right. You want to get every call right. That's the ultimate goal. I, I think you're going to see more and more tinkering with this as we go further along. Um, the part, the part of the game that that gets to me that I can't stand is the constant shifting by the defense. I think we have gone so far overboard. Mm, interesting, that it is not you bring even that fun. up. Um, because Michael K said uh, a couple weeks ago, I listened to him and Don Lagreca uh, on ESPN Radio in New York, and he said that he thinks that there should be some sort of an e- like an illegal defense or something for shifting too many guys over. So, I don't know. Is that is that kind of what you're thinking? I'm not going to say an illegal defense. I just think it's, I think it's stupid. Um, you know, I, I think we've just gone too far. And, and baseball is a game where you've got to just react, read and react. And... You know, take a couple steps here, take a couple steps there. To move players all over the place, I don't get that. The, the Washington Nationals, at the beginning of this year, struggled mightily defensively. And what happened mm-hmm. was a lot of the players were playing out of position because of all the shifting. And the players actually went to Matt Williams and said, hey, Skip, I just don't feel comfortable here. And they actually changed, and they, they stopped shifting so much. Um, I, I just think we've gone too far. It's, it's, it's one thing if you put that second baseman into shallow right field for, for that guy, you know, that's fine. But to bring over guys in the middle of that bat, to bring in a fifth infielder, it's just, oh gosh, it's, it's driving me crazy. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, there's no way of stopping it. Look, I, I think uh, it's the king's new clothes, right? Everyone thinks you have to do it because everybody else is doing it. Right. Once people get burned enough, they're going to stop. Or it's going to take somebody to say, you know what, guess what? We're not doing it. We might mm-hmm. shift a little bit, but we're not shifting on the 2-1 pitch. We're not going to shift on the 0-2 pitch. 
Because to me, I don't understand how that's not tipping pitches off the hitters. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. That's a great and, point. A great you know, point. I, I just, I think at some point you're going to have to have someone just stand up. And, and that's why I love Brad Ausmus and what, you know, I, I think it, it was a great move to get him as a manager for the Tigers. And he kind of makes his old school and new school. That's why I miss Jim Leland, because I don't think Leland would have gone for this. Those old school guys. But the thing is, yeah. here's here's the issue that I have, is, you know, people refer to them as old school, and I did too, and I to last year, and when I said that, he kind of took offense, and I said, now understand, I'm saying this, and I think it's a compliment. Calling you old school to me is a compliment. Okay. Um, people say in this day and age, you can't do this, you can't do that. What I say to them. It's just because we do things in this day and age doesn't mean we're doing things right. We, we tend to do things because everybody else is doing that, because society expects us to do those things. But it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It doesn't mean society as a whole is correct. And you right. need someone who can stand up to what other people are doing. And we haven't found that yet. Well, something similar. Well, something similar is going on over here. When you say everybody's following suit, uh, the bat flips have gotten out of control. Tim Kirkchen, you know, touched on it. I don't know if you saw his piece last week on like the unwritten rules. Um, but here in Korea, I mean, they're bat flipping on foul balls, on bloop singles in the first inning, and. From what I understand, some of the foreign pitchers aren't really too happy with it, and they won't really do it on certain foreign pitchers because they know they're not going to get away with it. But it's it's really, I mean, it's become an epidemic here that has upset a lot of people. What do you think about bat flipping? Should it be done at all or just sparingly, uh, maybe a walk-off home run, or is it, still, is it still showing someone up? For me, I don't think you should have a bat flip at all. Here's Here's what you do. Next time up, drill him. Yep. Drill him until he stops it. And if they got a problem with it, deal with it. But that's what baseball, that's how you police yourself. You take care of it. The guy backflips, you don't like it, drill him. And people say you can't do that anymore. Well, how do you fix this? How do you fix all this, this arrogance? How do, you, how do you fix this, it's all about me? I thought we were playing a team sport. I thought baseball is a team sport. It's not about me. And so that's what you do. And people take offense to that. Oh, you can't hit him anymore. You can't do this. He's too important to the game. Forget that. Forget that. You know, I mean, it's what happened with David Price and David Ortiz. Price finally had enough of it, and he drilled him. And I love that. I spoke to Garrett Cole last week, and, and, you know, he talked about the whole Carlos Gomez thing. And he Mm -hmm. said, man... I got so much heat for that. He goes, but I grew up watching Kevin Brown and Roger Clemens and watch footage of mm-hmm. Bob Gibson and all these guys. And they threw inside. And they, were, they, they just wanted people to play baseball the right way. And that baseball being played the right way, people will refer to it as being old school. No, it's just playing the game the right way, the, the way the game was meant to be played. I'm not saying take the fun out of it. I'm saying have respect. There are times to celebrate. There are times to do to do this and that. But a bat flip on a single? Come on now. A bat flip on, on, on a walk-off home run? You know what? 
You can do it if it's a no-doubter, but do you need to do it? No, you don't need to. How about no. just run around the bases, and when you come, come to home plate, your teammates are mobbing you? That, to me, is more fun than a bat flip. Um, yep. So I just I feel like we've, we've gotten away from letting, letting the players police themselves because of all the warnings and people you know, taking offense and, and everyone having to be so macho, and you can't hit me, and you can't throw inside to me. Look, if you're wearing the protection, I'm going to throw inside to you. If you're crowding the plate, yeah. I'm going to throw inside to you. If you're really comfortable in the plate against me and you've got good numbers, I'm going to throw inside to you. You've got to change it up, and, and that's what I would do. Well, I don't know if you'd be able – I think you'd get pretty frustrated watching some of the antics that go on. And it's not only here in Korea. It's in Japan too. But it just seems like there's a lot of unnecessary bat flipping going on here. And I understand it's entertainment and it's a different culture and everything, but it will never sit easy with me. All right. Now, um, I we have another question from Gio here that I think is really good. How, how much – you got a few more minutes, Justin? A couple more minutes, yeah, a couple more minutes. Okay. Appreciate the time, by the way. Um, I watched you during the season, uh, doing the Big East tournament, which I thought was great. I mean, you brought excitement to it. I was actually worried about that tournament because for years, you know, growing up in New York, St. John's fan, but you lost UConn, you lost some of the powerhouses, but still, um, thanks a lot for bringing excitement to it. And thanks a lot for when the Seton Hall, uh, hit that big three, um, I noticed, and I just replayed it just now on Deadspin, after that three-pointer, you paused for about five seconds and you let the play breathe, which I really appreciated. Now, some sports announcers um, are known to love the sound of their own voices, and Gio Yu, again, from Yonhop News, uh, beat writer covering baseball going to the World Cup soon in the next couple days, he says, as a viewer myself, I sometimes... Uh, I think sometimes it's better to stay silent and let the noise plus picture from the field do the talking. Korean play-by-play men generally talk way too much, and we talked about this, and I said, well, what would happen if uh, if a, someone threw a no-hitter here in Korea? And he said they would just talk over the whole thing. Um, where would you draw the line as far as when to talk and when not to talk over the course of a game uh, you call? I don't know if I draw any lines. I think um, it's all about feel and sense of the moment. Um, and as a broadcaster, can your words add anything to that moment? Um, to me, you know, growing up and, and watching and working with Joe Buck, I think he's one of the best at, at laying out and letting the crowd, you know, really dictate what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. So my, my whole thing is I want to, I want to make my call and if the crowd's going nuts, I can't add to that. You know, that's, that's what you, that's what I think as a viewer, I've always said that when I'm doing a game, first and foremost, I'm a fan. You know, that's why when, when I say on my Twitter page that I'm, I'm, I'm living a dream, it's because I'm getting paid to, to watch games that I love and to call games that I love. So when that moment happens, what would I be doing as a fan if that guy hit the shot? I'd be screaming. I'd be jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so let those people enjoy that moment. 
And then when you have that chance to add something else, that's when you jump in. Um, but, you know, I, I, uh, I, I take pride in that kind of thing. Um, and, and I think you're right. A lot of broadcasters, whether it's because they've, they've done a lot of radio and all of a sudden they're doing TV, they talk too much. And I find myself watching a big game just going, just lay out, lay out, lay out. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many producers I'll work with and they'll get in my ear to lay out, even though I'm already laying out. And, and they'll say to me, hey, sorry, just to have it, because I had to tell right. a lot of people to lay out. Um, but I, I, I like to think that a producer will never have to, have to tell me to do that. It's a good policy you got there. Um, one last thing for me before we let you go on your workout or wherever you're headed off to next. Where are you headed off to next, by the way? I've uh, got to work out, and uh, then I've got a cheap time today at uh, 1.30. Okay, and what do you, how about this weekend? You got a game? I do. I've got uh, Indians Rangers on Saturday afternoon on Fox Sports 1. There you go. You'll see Sin Su Chu, another uh, another guy here from Korea, who actually uh, I've been told by good sources uh, finds the bat flipping disrespectful um, by his fellow countrymen here. So I'm not picking on uh, anyone here from uh, this country. You know, you have probably the best, arguably the best offensive player from Korea saying this. So it's got to mean something. Um, if you were to go outside of America, this would be my last question here. Uh, if you were to go outside the country, um, what game would you call? What game would you love to call, and why? Oh, could be any any sport, any sport. Um, historically, you know, uh, I'd probably say Wimbledon. Hmm. Um, you know. I would have never, I would have never guessed that. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I thought you were more, more of a, you know, high energy type of thing. But okay. No, you know, I mean, um, just the history of of that, mm-hmm. you know, center court. Um, I'd probably say that, or you know, I guess whether it's like a Champions League, you know, final or or something like that, where the crowd is just crazy the entire time. Um, those would probably be my, my two choices. I, oh, I wanted to ask you, have you, have you done hockey? Have you done ice oh, yeah. hockey? I've done, I've done a have. bunch of hockey, yep. Okay. Uh, are you a Rangers fan? I am. Okay, well, good luck with that. It's going to be, I think, uh, I always love the East versus West thing. Uh, as you know, sadly, for Yankee fans, uh, the last uh, L.A. New York championship was in 1981. The Yankees lost to the Dodgers. But... Um, Hopefully, for your sake, there'll be a different outcome in this West Coast, East Coast affair. Justin, how do the fans get in touch with you? Uh, the best way is probably through Twitter. Okay. And, yeah. and that is? Uh, at Justin Kutcher, K-U-T-C-H-E-R. All right. Justin, thanks for your time. Uh, kept you for uh, over a half hour here. Hopefully we can have this uh, as an annual, maybe maybe even a biannual event, having you here on the podcast. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll even hug in the new Yankee Stadium. We didn't. We hugged in the uh, in the old Shea Stadium, but uh, who knows? Maybe we'll hug in City or Yankee Stadium someday. I'd like that. Yeah, I got to be honest, though, <laughs> Phil. I'm not a big fan of the new Yankee Stadium. I miss the old one. Well, I went once for a game in '09. I miss it too. And then I went to the. Um, 
to the stadium series. I saw the Islanders lose to the Rangers 2-1. I got the ticket right here in front of me uh, back in January, January 29th. And I think it was about 12 degrees that night. <laughs> so I was, in, I was in New York for about five days this winter, and I don't think it got above 15 degrees. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't. It was, it was a cold winter, that's for sure. Yep. All right. Well, Justin, uh, have a great time and everything you do. I know you're living the dream and, uh, I appreciate you coming on and you're, you're a great guy. You've stayed grounded throughout all this. Well, thanks Phil. I appreciate it. And, uh, keep up the good work over there. I appreciate it. Take care. We'll see you. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. That was Justin Kutcher, Fox sports. Man, we went longer than uh, usual, but uh, hey, some interesting stuff there. Some stuff that I didn't uh, think we'd get to. I want to thank everybody uh, from the MyKBO group uh, for the questions. Sorry we didn't get to all of them. You'll all get 15% off your next meal at uh, Taqueria as well as the world-famous nachos. At least in my mind, they're world-famous. Uh, so... Um, I will send email vouchers out to you guys. I have most of your emails. Um, John, why don't you send me yours? And uh, thanks a lot, everyone. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, best way is uh, Twitter, at coming to A-M-E-R-B-B. That's coming to A-M-E-R-B-B. Uh, or if you want to send me an old-fashioned email, phil at coming to americabaseball.com. That's phil with one L. Check out the website, comingtoamericabaseball.com, YouTube page, iTunes, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Enjoy baseball, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.